You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.Church. Amen. Amen. Well, as Ms. Bristow said, my name is Matt. I'm the worship pastor here at the Vineyard, and we're really glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, greetings to everybody on the live stream. Thank you for tuning in. We're praying that you experience the presence of God just like we are in the room today, and that we're glad you're worshiping with us. Uh, we're wrapping up a series called Anxious for Nothing today, and I'm really excited about uh, the, the message today and what we're going to dive into. The, the title is Anxious About Family, Anxious About Family. And I know you're thinking, well, I can't really relate to that. So just hang with us. You can pray for everyone else in the room if that's the case. Uh, In all seriousness, like anxious about family is one of those almost uh, universal things that we face in this life. And so we're going to dive in. But I'm sure you've seen the news reports about the earthquake in Morocco by now. And the, the last reports that I've seen have put the death toll over 2,000 people. And there are countless others injured and displaced and affected. It, it's just a heartbreaking scene. And um, our friends at Convoy of Hope are already there on the ground distributing essentials and bringing relief. And because of our partnership with them, We're part of that response, and we're helping to fund their relief efforts. And and that's what I love about working with Convoy of Hope. Every October, we take a special offering together called One Day to Feed the World, and we give all of the money that comes into that offering directly to Convoy of Hope. And through that offering and a lot of other efforts throughout the year and partnering with countless other churches around the country and around the world, it enables Convoy to be ready the moment that the storm hits, the moment the disaster strikes, they're there partnering with local churches and bringing uh, what people need. And so I'm really grateful to Convoy of Hope, and I'm grateful for your generosity in the ways that, that this church has given Uh, sacrificially to help fund those relief efforts in really, really critical moments in our world. And I'd like to take a moment to pray about the situation. Would Would you pray with me? Father, right now we, God, we lift up the people of Morocco, the people affected by this quake. Lord, we pray for all those who have lost so much, lost loved ones and homes and their, their sense of safety, we ask that you would draw them near and protect them, God. We pray for the survivors, that they would be found quickly and rescued. And Lord, we, we pray that you would keep all of the first responders and relief workers safe. Or give them supernatural strength and endurance as they work. And in the midst of tragedy, God, let your light and your love shine through. That people would find your healing, your life, and your hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. We'll continue to pray for that situation. Hey, do you, do you know the first thing in human history that was said to be not good? Not good. Like, think all the way back to the beginning. The first thing ever that was not good. You got to go all the way back to creation, actually. The, the familiar story on the first page of the Bible. We read that God made light and it was good. And God made the sea and the sky and the land and the plants, the sun and the moon, the fish and birds and animals and humans, and it was all good. And when God had finished his creative work, he actually called it very good. And it was. It was paradise. And Adam had everything that he needed walking in close communion with God. And there was no pain or suffering. There was no deception, no anxiety, no fear or shame. It was perfect, except that Adam was lonely. And in Genesis 2, verse 18, it answers the question as to what the first thing ever in human history that wasn't good Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. All right. Not good to be alone. Uh, we're not talking about some alone time or sneaking away for a few hours of solitude here. Uh, as the one and only, Adam was quite literally alone. All the animals had mates. But none were suitable for him. God had tasked Adam with naming all the animals. And I'm sure that as he saw each unique, unique pair, it became even more evident that he was, in fact, alone. And we don't know how long this went on, but given the substantial amount of work that Adam got done naming all the animals, I, it was a while. So God gave Adam the first general anesthesia, <laughs> put him to sleep, and he took a rib out of his side as the raw material to create woman. And God's timing here is really interesting. This was not a design tweak to his newly created universe. This wasn't oversight. Although it's possible that he created man and then thought, I could do better. <laughs> and then created woman. <clears throat> Just wait, your turn's coming in the story. <laughs> but from the beginning, God intended to create a family. He wanted a family. He, he made Adam in his own image so the design template was the triune God who in himself embodies the perfect community. And then he God, gave, God gave Adam a vocation in the garden, work to do, and a holy mandate to be fruitful and multiply. And obviously, Adam could not accomplish the work that God had given him 
alone. God's timing in in this new creation allowed man to feel his need for help. How do we know he felt this need? Well, when God, as the father of the bride, walked the first woman through the garden down to her husband, and Adam saw her for the first time, he busted out Ella James. Like he's saying, at last, my love has come along and my lonely days are over. (laughs) He was so excited. Then verse 23, he couldn't help but sing. And I wish that we had the melody recorded, but all we have are his lyrics. And, And he's saying this, at last, verse 23. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This is lyrics. This is poetry showing up, spilling out out of Adam's heart because he deeply knew his need. And boom, fusion. The very first nuclear family was created. Because right after that, it goes on to say that this is why A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So the first man and the first woman, the first general anesthesia, the first song sung as the processional for the very first wedding that made the very first family. And not long after that, the first anxiety entered the world. And where did it land? It landed in family. If we're honest, our families, all families, experience anxiety just like Adam and Eve. Family was the epicenter where anxiety first struck. It turns out it runs in the family. And it can all be traced back to this moment in Genesis 3 when the age of anxiety that we live in began. So I want to read it together, Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to pick up in the middle of verse 6. This is right after the serpent spoke to Eve. Genesis chapter 3, the second part of verse 6 says, So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman who you gave me. Gave me the fruit, and I ate it. I'm glad some of you found the humor in that verse. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? 
The serpent deceived me. She replied, that's why I ate it. We'll jump down to verse 16. God speaking to Eve as part of the curse. He said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Have you ever read this familiar story watching for the anxiety in it? I know the main characters get all the attention and the acclaim, but anxiety might get the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. In fact, theologian Walter Brueggemann, commenting on Genesis chapter 3, said, the story is a theological critique of anxiety. It presents a prism through which the root cause of anxiety can be understood. And listen, I know in our modern context, Genesis is chalked up as myth. And the biblical account of creation and the fall can be a challenging thing to parse. Was it six literal days? And how long ago was this? And how does it square with the fossil record? Is it symbolism or literary device? Was there actually a talking serpent? And what are the implications of original sin? And those are all important questions, and there's so much that we could focus on and discuss. But whether you're young earth or old earth or evolutionary creationist, or you've never even considered the origins of the universe, there are important lessons in this text for our families today. Regardless of the shape or size of your family or the friends that you call family, this text shows that after all this time, we really haven't changed our patterns very much. Countless generations later, there's still anxiety in me, in you, between us and between you. And it's contagious. Anxiety might be the most contagious thing in the universe. You might walk into a room feeling fine, but if the room is anxious, you're about to be. It's, it's like glitter. <laughs> if it's anywhere nearby, it will get on you, right? You're just minding your own business, having a normal conversation with a normal person in a normal glitter-free location, and then out of nowhere, the other person's like, oh, hey, you got a little, you got a little sparkle right, right there, right? And the unknowable hilarity of that situation is that it's actually from the homemade birthday card that your mom sent you five weeks ago. <laughs> Glitter. One of our chairs here 
still has glitter on it from a dress that my daughter wore to church like six years ago. (laughs) I see it every time we stack the chairs, like sparkling in the light. I laugh about it because I know that that glitter is still spreading, right? (laughs) Careful, because one of you might go home with glimmering glutes today. (laughs) Glitter. Glitter. One anxious person in your family system, it's like glitter. It's like the whole family's at craft night making those homemade B-Day cards, and there's just a plume of glitter over the whole house. Anxiety is everywhere, and once you get it on you, good luck trying to contain its insidious spread. So I want to walk through this scripture and pull out three of the ways that anxiety shows up in our families. Three ways anxiety rears its head in our families. Number one is distancing. Distancing. Well, and I'm anxious. I get distant. How about you? Anxiety is like a proximity sensor. And any time... Someone leans in a little too close. The alarms sound, and you can't help but retreat. And so often we feel like we can't seem to let anyone in, like we'll never experience the kind of relational closeness that we crave. But here's the hard truth. Are you ready? There's a lot about you that you're not too fond of. And because you don't like it, you certainly don't want anybody to see it. Those things that are hard to admit to yourself, things that you're ashamed of, if you can't accept it, how could anyone else? So I'll just keep my distance. Because the closer people get, the more they see me. Like, really see me, blemishes and all, faults and weaknesses and mistakes and regrets. They're hard to hide up close and personal. And we're convinced that people reject us if they only knew. Look at verse 9 of this story. It said, Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now, can we all agree that God is not asking this question because he needs the answer? He's not asking for his own benefit. He knows exactly where Adam is hiding. He asked for Adam's benefit because he wanted him to own up to accept responsibility for what had happened. God came calling, knowing all about the fruit and the snake and the hiding place that they would go to in the trees. He came not to bring shame and condemnation. We know from verse 7, they already had it. God invited Adam out into the open, out of the trees and into repentance for transformation and reconciliation but distance felt safer 
Now, distance doesn't make us safer. It puts us at risk. Follow with me here. Ask a lion which zebra to hunt. It's always the isolated one. And Peter described our enemy as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the only thing safe when we're distancing is the anxiety itself that caused the distance. In a twist typical of our adversary, we're not only further from God and further from loved ones, we're actually further from the antidote we need. Because transformation only happens when you stop hiding and own up to the fact that things are not as they should be. And then stay connected. Stay close. You stay even when you're seen. But resisting the urge to hide when you feel exposed, that's ah, so difficult. Verse 10 says that Adam and Eve hid because they felt naked. They felt exposed. And yes, they were physically naked, but, but we're also talking about emotional nakedness. They felt exposed and uncovered and vulnerable and out in the open and unprotected in every way. And one of our deepest needs is to be loved. But one of our deepest fears is to be seen for what we really are. And your instincts will lead you to protect yourself from exposure, leaving the need for love languishing. Guys, fig leaves have fallen out of fashion, but we still have a tendency to cover our butts. Right? We just have way more sophisticated covers. In, in 26 years of marriage, I've noticed some opportunities to maintain distance, like even from the people you live with. You can keep secrets from your spouse. You can stop your parents from really knowing you. If you want to, you can seal your true self from your siblings and your closest friends, and from everyone. Family should be the place where we learn that the risk of being seen is worth the love that we share. But we distance. And when we distance, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Vulnerability is a choice. So, number one, when I'm anxious, I get distant. And number two, triangling. When I'm anxious, I make triangles. Let's look back at the text. In verse 11, God has more questions. And again, not for his own benefit. And then in verse 12, it says, The man replied, It was the woman, the woman you gave me, who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. When confronted... Adam took it like a man and blamed his wife. <laughs> Just, that's how it went down. And we can't know this for sure, but this might have been the very first finger point in all the world. <laughs> like, it was her. As soon as things became unstable between he and God, Adam made a triangle. 
That's, that's when two people, the anxiety between two people, is transferred to a third person as a way of coping. Does this make sense? Let me see if some examples might be relatable and will help explain. If, if you are constantly being dragged into other people's drama, it might be a triangle. If you always need your sister to mediate the war you have with your brother, it might be a triangle. If you and your spouse turn all of your attention to the problem behavior of one of your children instead of the intense marital conflict that you're having, it might be a triangle. And so Adam, not knowing what to do with his anxious feelings, he passed the buck. And the question was about his actions, but his answer seemed to be focused on what everyone else had done. You gave me the woman. God, you gave her to me, and she gave me the fruit. And yes, I ate it, but come on, God, you set me up. Right? Like, it was reckless to give me a naked woman knowing that I would listen to everything that she said. <laughs> this is a setup. Triangles are perfect for playing hot potato with blame and accusations and unresolved past conflicts. You just pass them around. And Eve, when she's confronted, she decides three can play at the game. She starts blame shifting too. Verse 13, it says, the serpent deceived me. She, she replied, the serpent's fault. That's why I ate it. You know, this happens in our families all the time. Whenever there's conflict or confrontation, whenever there is disapproval or drama, welcome to the triangulation station. Adam and Eve's choice to eat the fruit had fractured their relationship with God and with each other, and they were helpless to fix it, and we're just like them. Our choices and action have fractured our relationships with God and our relationships with each other. And God being ever faithful, he pursues us and provides a way to restore the relationships. He wants reconciliation so much that he came and became a man and lived a perfect life and died in our place so that we could be saved and set free from anxiety. Thank God. He's given us the grace for the forgiveness of our sins as the only means to restore our relationship with him. But we triangle. And we triangulate our way out. Like we think we're working our own way out. We have our own plan. One that doesn't involve owning our stuff and dealing. In triangles, there's always another place to turn. Someone other than God to run to with our pain. Triangles are where family dysfunction is fed and maintained. And when I am anxious, I make triangles. When I am anxious, I get distant. Number three is controlling. When I am anxious, I get controlling. 
One of the results of Adam and Eve's sin was that they had lost control. They were out of control. Out of control of their future, of their destiny. They had lost their home as a consequence. They lost control of everything. And Pastor Rick Warren said that the more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. And sometimes, controlling people seem sure of things, like they have everything figured out, and they know exactly how it's all supposed to be. But that's not coming from a place of certainty. It, it's actually uncertainty. A controlling person is not secure. They're, they're insecure. And the more insecure you are, the more you need, you need to get your own way. As a secure person, is not bothered when everything's not just so. Just roll with it. When we're secure in Jesus, we rest on a foundation that can't be shaken. But if you're insecure then you need it exactly like you want it all the time. And you fight for your own way and you push it through. You start bossing everybody around, making demands, demeaning and dominating. Clinically, this is known as over-functioning. And that's what we see described in verse 16. As part of the painful curse, after they sinned, God told Eve... You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And you can debate whether this curse was prescriptive or descriptive, but there's no doubt about its accuracy. It's clearly observed every time we depart from vows to love and to cherish and instead seek to control and to dominate. For millennia, we've witnessed the bloody carnage of the battle of the sexes that all began right here in this moment in Genesis 3. All of the misunderstandings between men and women, between husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends, between brothers and sisters and friends, the manipulation and malice, the confusion and conflict, it's all part of this same struggle. Our quest for control has gotten out of control. Try as we may, we cannot secure ourselves. No matter how much we control, we cannot secure ourselves. We can only be secured by someone who is faithful to us. Starting with our faithful God and deepening when we offer each other what we've received from him. So, when I'm anxious, I get controlling. What would it look like to move from cooperation, from, from competition to cooperation in your family? Can you imagine a family that's not fighting to control each other, but fighting for each other on the same team? And you might be thinking, yeah, that all, that all sounds great, Matt. But my family is filled with anxiety. We're constantly distancing and triangling 
and controlling. Maybe there's so much shame involved in your family system that the moment it looks like actual progress might be made, everyone just starts covering their backsides and the cycle starts all over again. You know that terrible moment when you feel airflow where you shouldn't, yeah? You realize that you're, you're not covered. Adam and Eve had that anxiety-inducing moment when the fig leaves started blowing in the breeze and it put their questionable sewing skills to the test. That's what I, I call the anxiety doom loop. It's this, the anxiety doom loop. I feel anxious, so I try to cover. My cover is insufficient, so I feel anxious. And lather, rinse, repeat. If Adam and Eve could have covered their shame on their own, they wouldn't have kept hiding. They were still exposed because nothing they could make themselves would even come close to covering. Their attempts would not cut it. Not fig leaves, not personas, not deflecting humor, not even a perfectly curated Instagram. There's nothing that we can do to cover our own shame. The right appearance and clothes and makeup and hair and accessories and shoes, nothing will cover Charity work and philanthropy won't do. The dream job can't cut it. You can have the car and the boat and the bike and the skis. You can have it all and do it all and nothing will cover your shame. But the good news. Are you ready for good news about this? The good news is that you can stop trying to cover. Because the hope to interrupt the patterns of anxiety in our families is that God provides our covering. God provides our covering. Look at verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. He made them their clothes. Before all the consequences of their actions hit, God covered their vulnerability and nakedness and shame with animal hides. God demonstrated that the only thing that can cover is the sacrifice of another. Only something that dies in your place can cover sin and shame. Guys, this is foreshadowing the covering that Jesus provides. We couldn't break the anxiety doom loop. So God broke it for us. Jesus has paid for our covering with his sacrifice. And in him, we can stop worrying about what's exposed. We know we're covered in him and we're dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Through the cross of Christ, God has provided the means to restore our relationship with him. And that is the basis to heal the relationships with one another and heal the relationships in our families. 
With our covering from God secure, we can give the people close to us the same grace we have received freely from God. And it is still not good for us to be alone. We don't have to keep distancing ourselves. God welcomes us to draw close. We can stop making triangles. Stop struggling for control. And through the power of God, healing in our families can begin. Our families can be the place of connectedness, the place of healing, the place of of community, the place of deep intimacy with one another that they were intended to be by the God who created them. That hope is found in Jesus. Let's pray.